Hi, everybody. Welcome to another issue of Be Heard. And today we have a cute girl that I met. Her name is Chandra. And um, she was actually my first podcast. And uh, that was really a lot of fun. And her podcast is called Common Humanity, which basically is, is for, if I quote you correctly, uh, real human conversations with real people, right? Yep. Yeah. And not afraid to talk about feelings that we all have, including fear or our pain. And uh, we can share our common humanity. And that's where the name of your podcast came from. So Chandra is also an author and a certified life coach. And um, what made what motivated you to do podcasts? Let me ask you that. Well, honestly, what it came down to is I realized that I was lacking like real conversations in my life. Mm-hmm. And I've with my friends and coworkers and things like that, I'd kind of run dry. Like I've known their stories for a long time and sometimes they get real sick of me talking about my feelings and things like that. So I decided why not ask anyone in the world if they want to have a conversation and it has proven to be just phenomenal. One, I get to have conversations about some of the coolest things in the world. Uh, People hear people's stories about things that I haven't experienced, but um, that 100% somebody else has and be able to share those experiences and just learn about humanity. And um, I mean, it, it started off completely selfish. I was just like, I just want to talk to you. I love it. Now, what state are you in again? Remind me. Wyoming. And I'm in Florida. We would never have met if it wasn't for the internet. So, I mean, it's amazing today that the uh, impact you can have and the reach you can have and the support. And, you know, they talk about trolls and things like that. But, you know, if you, if you make yourself a safe space like we have been doing, okay, mm-hmm. um, it is just the best. So what's the most interesting thing you found out about someone while interviewing or talking to them um there's I'm sure there's a couple there's a few yeah so there's one gentleman who I spoke to who actually wrote a book about his experience being abused in the catholic church Mm -hmm. so like and um so if you have if you ever want to check it out behind sacred walls is his book um Another one that was recruited into served like a high position and then eventually um, got himself out of a religious cult. So that mm-hmm. was a really interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so that wouldn't Those are my- two good ones. Yeah, both yeah. religious stuff. Um, I think one of my... My other two favorite ones was actually my very first episode. I talked to um, an acquaintance of mine about dyslexia and literacy. Mm-hmm. And that one, just like the education in that one, and just the openness of 
neurodivergency and the imp impact that it can have on your life, especially being neurodivergent and having neurodivergent, neurodivergent children. It was like very eye-opening. How do you define that neurodivergent? Neurodivergent. Um, I don't know what the technical definition no, is, but um, essentially people whose brains don't work in the standard way, quote unquote, um, with that. So things that fall under that are ADHD, autism, dyslexia. Okay, um, yeah, that, that I get. Mm -hmm. I have uh, a grandson that's... Um... Epilepsy, Asperger's, but he's like high functioning Asperger's, so I get that. Um, and I swear to God, I have dyslexia with numbers. <laughs> uh, that's called dyscalculia. Thank you. I didn't know what it was called. Dyscalculia. I got to write that down. I don't know I'll, how many times I like uh, write down a phone number and it's like backwards. <laughs> so let me ask you. Now we're going to get a little more serious. You write under the pen name of C.S. Phoenix, correct? Yes. And a lot of women, especially women, that have some trauma or abuse that they overcame, like to use that symbol of a phoenix mm -hmm. rising from the ashes. I have it throughout a lot of my stuff. And you wrote a book, Honor, Healing the Trauma of Suicide, Self-Harm, and Body Dysmorphia. And I want to talk a little bit about that, if that's okay. That's fine. You wrote a book about it, so I guess it's open. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my first book, Raised by Wolves, Trapped by Demons, you know, there was child abuse, which at the time people didn't think it was child abuse. I didn't realize it was child abuse. I didn't find out it was until I went into treatment at one point and talked about my childhood and they said that was child abuse. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking I had to be burned by cigarettes for it to be child abuse, <laughs> you know? So that, and then of course, bad relationships where there's domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. you know. I was sexually assaulted. I got away without being raped, but I still had the trauma of being sexually assaulted, punched in the face, all this stuff. Now, what happened too was, um, and all of this I find out later in life, was that I had chronic depression, anxiety, and probably PTSD from my experiences. And I began to self-medicate with alcohol. Okay. As many and, do. Yes. And you could even say with men, but definitely with alcohol. And there was a point where um, there was self-harm. There was self-harm. And um, it's uh, hard to explain or talk about to someone unless they've actually experienced it, which obviously you have. Yes. Right. All of the above. <laughs> so you can like, um, when you did self-harm, um, was it in the middle of something that was happening or was it just at random times because of something that already happened or both? Um, all right. Okay, so the first question is, do you want me to get interpersonal or do you want me to get nerdy or do you want both? Both. Okay, so <laughs> I mean, I started self-harming in fifth grade. Ooh. Um, I also attempted suicide for the first time in elementary school. So oh, that's, oh, um, it's it's been a very long journey. 
like I'm still young, but it's been a, a long journey, even Ooh. even still. Um, but for me, it was always an escape. It was I was raised in a household where um we weren't really allowed to express emotion. The only emotion that was allowed was anger. Um and so like crying was pretty much forbidden and if you did it you like you had to hide it because you would just get shame for emotions and so when you bottle all of that stuff up it comes out some other way and especially when I was young I didn't have well one I didn't have coping skills and two I didn't have the ability to take out like I didn't know how to speak for myself. I did not know how to defend myself. I did not um, like the people who were causing me emotional pain. I did not know how to make it stop. So I took all of that and then inflicted it on myself. Now, were your parents uh, inflicting some of this pain? Yes. And that is who is supposed to teach us coping skills. So and, we got, yeah, we got a double-edged sword there. The people that are supposed to love us and make us feel safe and teach us coping skills are doing just the opposite. Mm-hmm. So basically, when we go out into the world as an adult, we have nothing. We, we have to teach ourselves how to survive. In the beginning, it, it has to be over. It's still overwhelming, but it's overwhelming. And uh, of course, you're going to do things and you don't even know why do that but it's pain Mm -hmm. it's internal pain and um i think it wasn't maybe it wasn't the first time but it wasn't the first time but the oddest thing was i was in a bar with um a date and we were drinking and um this was like in the 70s and he said oh let's play a game and at that time i was pretending to smoke I've never smoked, but I used to hold a cigarette and pretend because everybody else was. And we had cigarettes and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to hold the cigarette on my hand. Let's see how long I could do it. Now we obviously were, I mean, I couldn't have been too drunk because I remember what we were drunk. And he did that. And then he said, your turn. And I remember that he had to tell me to stop. I had, I still have the scar. I still have the scar right in here. And at the time, I don't know what I thought it was, but I wasn't thinking about that. That was so hard coming out, you know, the fact that it's amazing that people, and it's really sad. Like when you think of these young teenage girls that are doing it and they're cutting themselves and everything and keeping it all inside. So we need to talk about it. Like, yeah. let them know, you know, I, it happened to us. And so part of it is, so on the nerdy side of things, it happens. So you have coping mechanisms mm-hmm. and coping mechanisms can be good and they can also be maladaptive. So they right. can act, turn into something that starts to cause you harm. Right. I talk about this a lot. This uh, is true. So one of the things, I'm also a personal trainer and one of the things and self-harm 
is a sneaky little bitch. Um, sorry. <laughs> yes, I, it is. I should ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, because a lot of times we think about it, right, as teenage girls cutting themselves. Mm-hmm. But eating disorders are also a form of self-harm. That's usually how they start. They're a form yes. of control. It's something that you can control that nobody oh, else has control. Exactly. That you feel like exactly. you have autonomy in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, in the fitness industry, there are people who will go to the gym four times a day and they oh. get praised for it, but it's destructive to your body. And it, and I was that person once as well, where it was like, I can be harming myself because like when you're lifting weights, what you're doing is tearing your muscles and to a certain degree, that's good and it's healthy. But once you passed, once you get past that point of it being helpful to you, it starts to be harmful, but nobody is looking at you like, oh, Hey, you went to the gym four times today. You must be hurting yourself. People look at you and say, what a warrior, what an athlete. Yep. (laughs) you're, I wish I could be like you. Yeah. It's like, you don't want that. Trust me. (laughs) Um, And to your point, the one that I think is most common that most people don't either don't realize or just won't accept is alcohol. And it is not Mm -hmm. only common and accepted as a coping mechanism, Mm-hmm. But we live in a culture where if you don't use it as a coping mechanism, then you are almost outcast. Because I gotta tell you, when I got sober, yeah, I lost friends quick. Yeah, I'm sober. Like- I'm sober since um 1991. So that's what 32 years. <clears throat> and I I owned a bar, okay, mm-hmm. when I finally hit bottom. And drinking, I found out later in treatment, I was self-medicating. I did, like you were saying, that was my coping skill. So I was self-medicating by drinking for, I want to say 20 years. I I was an early start. I didn't drink when I was a kid. I was like a Miss Goody two-shoes when I was younger. But when I did start drinking, um, I had a very big capacity drinking I it didn't show outwardly I'd be the one that they'd say let Marie drive because she's sober mm-hmm. I just as much a drink as they did but it was to keep those feelings stuffed down you know and um if I didn't if I wasn't prescribed pain medication for something else and not capable of following instructions I probably wouldn't have hit bottom. I would have died from liver disease. Mm-hmm. But I did not follow instructions because I was an alcoholic. And that they weren't talking to me when they said, don't take that alcohol. They were talking about these whips that don't drink. <laughs> so that's what got me to treatment, thank God. Um, because I started having blackouts. And if you have a blackout, you're not in control. Right. And I didn't like that. I was a control freak. So the next day, don't tell me I did things and I don't remember that's going to freak me out. And that's really a big part of how I got sober, you know. But then guess what? Got sober, put on alcohol, picked up food. Picked up food immediately. Again, that's what you're doing. You're still not dealing. It took me nine years of therapy, three um, in-house treatments 
to get a handle on what was causing the depression anxiety. Not that it went away, but that I could identify what it was and why it was happening and coping skills that I never had, that I had to learn. It's been a long journey for me too. And I'm still on it. Sure. Well, and I think we always are. I don't believe that anyone can be healed, but you're, if you're on a healing journey, because what like you pointed out, the depression and the anxiety, they don't go away. They're not, I'm not, not, I don't not have depression anymore. I just have better skills so that when I start to notice that like one of the things is I stop like washing my face before I go to bed and I start silencing my alarm in the morning and I start mm -hmm. doing things. And like the first thing that goes is me taking care of myself. And usually yeah. like I'm getting better and better at being able to pick up on like, Hey, depression is hitting. We should do yeah. something about it. Yeah. And the more I practice it, the better I get. And so you're, you're being self-aware. Yeah. And that's a skill. I get irritable. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So 2020 uh, with COVID, I already had an autoimmune disease. I was recovering from breast cancer and my husband has Parkinson's and we had to make, and we're older. I'm 74. And so let's see. So we decided we weren't going to go anywhere. 2020, we locked down. We locked down. And I got irritable after a few months with him. And I was being nasty to him. And like you, self-awareness, I said, that's depression, Marie. You're irritable with him. That's depression. And I immediately got some help, you know, um, and I'm still, I see a therapist on Zoom every two weeks and I love her. And it's like meeting up with a girlfriend for coffee, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> she'll always pick up on things and she'll say, well, wait, let's go back there. And, you know, but she is the one that encouraged me to write my first book. So yeah, that was kind of cool. But self-awareness. So I, I recognize it, but you don't always. And the sad part of depression is, there's different types of mm -hmm. depression. I think we both have like the chronic depression that we're trying to control. We kind of understand what triggers it and what to do about it. But then there's that dark depression that people get where they don't even know what's causing it. They're, they're the people that commit suicide because they don't even, they have no way to know how to crawl out of that dark hole. Now, well, you, you mentioned suicide in your book also. Yeah, so- I mean, so the first book, like you mentioned, is I, I started with the the things that most people have probably had, has had some impact on their lives, whether they know it or not. So disordered eating, body dysmorphia, self-harm, and suicide ideology. I've lost 17 friends to suicide. I've attempted suicide multiple times. Mm. Um, went through a suicidal crisis with my ex-husband before we were divorced. Like there's a lot yeah. that impacted my life a lot. Um, but they were honestly, those were all the symptoms of the things that are coming in the later books. So mm -hmm. the second book, which um, releases this year, hopefully both of them this year, but life has been happening in the lives of people who are part of the book. So we have to let life happen. Um, but the second book is almost exclusively about 
um, child abuse and domestic abuse and my experience with that. And then the third book is entirely sexual abuse um, because that was also a huge part of my life. And really the, the second and third books were the underlying cause of the experiences I had in the first book, right? Because, I mean, I've, I've had those dark depressions where I don't know how to get out of it. Um, I've had enough. I've so a handful of times, um, any attempts that I've made have been thwarted by having someone who cares enough about me to check on me. Um, and most of my attempts, like actual attempt attempts were, uh, elementary and early junior high. Okay. Um, yeah. the last time I, and it's weird cause I considered this an attempt, but it wasn't, it wasn't a conscious attempt. It wasn't like, Hey, I'm going to kill myself tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the last night that I was, that I drank mm-hmm. and I was drinking more and more and I got home and I had friends drop me off. Um, and I had reached this state of numbness that I had been searching for, for 20 years and couldn't feel any of the feelings, any of the bad feelings that were always there. And I was like, I never want this to stop. So I, and I don't generally keep alcohol in my house. Um, but I had a couple of like random things. I had like a a frozen margarita that my mom had put in the freezer three years prior. And I had Coke cherry wine that my dead great aunt had given me before she died. And like things that I was never intending to consume that were there. And that night I was like, if I mix these and this entire bottle of Tylenol and all this ibuprofen, I can probably never feel all of this again. And like minutes like as I'm gathering all of these things I had a friend text me back in the middle of the night and start talking to me and he talked to me until I fell asleep and I woke up at five o'clock the next morning with the (laughs) self-awareness of had I like had I not been interrupted I know I call that I call that divine intervention (laughs) that's divine intervention whether you believe in a spirit, a goddess, or just the universal energy, but that definitely was. Definitely. See, I agree, but I would also put put out that I think that that is the power of human connection. Right, right. Because Well, if you think about it, um, you know, like, I'm not going to get into religious stuff, but my yeah. church is like non-denominational. <clears throat> but they believe in the power of prayer. And the, the, what they're talking about is not praying to a God in the sky, a guy in the sky. They're talking about, like, if you pray for humanity and everyone has positive energy coming from them, don't we think that would have an impact on the world, right? Mm-hmm. But most people, like I'd say 90% of the world is not doing that. They're not taking time out of their day to sit there and just be quiet and, and think and just have positive vibrations. So I really believe that whatever you call it, you call that to you. Mm-hmm. That's called to you. It's just, I get goosebumps thinking about it. 
you know. I um <clears throat> I took pills the first time, but it wasn't high on heart. It was like uh, tranquilizers. Yeah. And <clears throat> it was um my first husband who I married twice because I was a glutton for punishment. And <laughs> I took take these handful of pills and then I immediately was sorry I did it, but I didn't want to call an ambulance and I called my friend that was starting to be a nurse. I was like 22. And she said, go vomit, make yourself vomit right now. Because you just took them. I said, yeah, I just took them. So I went and I made myself vomit, you know. But I don't know, did I, I don't think I really wanted to die. Like you had said something before. I just wanted to numb the pain. And that happened to me um, twice more, <clears throat> different things, but um, where I was that close. Yeah, that close. I could have died, you know, but it wasn't my time. It wasn't my time. And I needed to continue on that journey no matter how hard it was. You know? Yeah, there's um, there's a saying that says um, when you're suicidal, you don't want to die. You want to kill something inside of you. That, that makes sense. So and it. I don't know. I always refer to it as my, my monster, um, yeah. which. Well, that's I part think. of my title trap by demons, the second half, because I was raised by wolves, meaning I did not get taught things that other children might have gotten taught. It was like, you were left to fend for yourself, like a wolf in the woods. <clears throat> and then the demons were the feelings I had of mm. self-worth and not being enough. <clears throat> and that attracted men that preyed on that. Yep. that toxic, I call it toxic masculinity. And I had them in my life. And they just added to the feelings of not being good enough. You know, so until um, till I learned how to love myself, I couldn't love anybody else. I had to learn how to love myself. And I remember the guy that I married twice, it was actually 10 years apart. So it was like, did you really think he changed? I mean, you know, 10 years is 10 years, but still, did you forget who he was? And I remember <clears throat> after half a dozen times that he cheated on me and he was on the phone, he was begging to come back, begging, and I love you, I'm sorry, I want you to begin. And I remember the thought coming into my head, you know what, and I had two kids. I love myself and my kids more than him. I have to. And I said, no. And that was the end of that. And even though I was still in addiction, it still was a step out of the cave. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Choosing me. You know. So that we have those <clears throat> pivotal moments. And we don't even know at the time they are. But they are. For sure. I think, um, oh, I had two questions. I lost one of them. We'll see if I can get back to it in a second. Um, in your opinion, do you ever stop being an addict? No. You're recovering. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, it always annoys me at a meeting if someone says, I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm thinking, no, you're not. You're an alcoholic that's not drinking and trying to be a good person and working the steps, but you're not ever recovered. 
was gonna say you go you go take one solid shot shot of scotch and that would be out the door real quick <laughs> well i know people personally that were like gurus in aa that had 30 40 years and relapsed yeah and for whatever reasons they relapsed or theirs but you know, th- there's no way you recover from it. It's always there. Um, you know, it's like, I don't think about drinking or anything, but I take medication that can be can, can be addictive if you took too much of it. Because mm-hmm. I'm older and I have to take a pain pill and I have the chronic anxiety and I, I am on a very low, low, low dose of um, generic value so you know being an addict <laughs> i could at any time say oh well i have those pills in the bedroom they're there yeah so i have to be constantly spiritually vigil and and i'm not one of those alcoholics and it says oh you can't take a pain pill no <laughs> not gonna be much fun when you're at my age if you can't take a pain pill trust me you need it yeah i, I think know. go ahead you go Yeah. I think a big part of it is again, it's that healing journey, because if you, if you get to the point where you think you're healed and you don't have to put in the work anymore and you don't have to take care of yourself and you're supposed to be able to coast, I feel like those are probably the people who relapse because the people who know that it is a lifelong journey to continue to take care of yourself and do what's best for you and learn new coping skills and drop old coping skills if you need to. Like those are the people who get, who continue to recover. Yeah. And help other people and, and are yeah. a good you know, example. So I, I'm always amazed with the time just runs out. It's like amazing because it's such um, honest conversation. Mm-hmm heart to heart, spirit to spirit. So you're going to have to uh, schedule to do another one with me. You have your second book out yet or not? No, um, I'm waiting on my artist to to get me the art. And And what's the title? Do you have a title? Um, The second one is Integrity. So it's Honor, Integrity and Candor. Wonderful. I love it. Can't wait. My second one turned out to be uh, unearthing my Irish roots because I found out a couple of years ago my father was actually 100% Irish. He was adopted. And nobody's ever 100% anything, but he was. So I ended up writing a book on it. You know, so that's out. And now I'm writing a third one, which we'll talk about next time. <laughs> All right. Well, I loved having our conversation, our real conversation with you. All yes. right. Thanks, everybody. And um, I'll see you at the next one. All right. Thank you. Bye.